Good morning, my wonderful friends. 8 a.m. over here, Atlantic Daylight Time, the early bird podcast sessions. Stefan Maier with you at itssouls.com is the website. I labor alongside the East Coast Church of Christ. You can check out the dot com, you can check out our Facebook page. By all means, please do. And consider signing up to addedsouls.locals.com. It supports the work we do, allows us to grow further and farther, reaching all over the place. And uh, it's a wonderful opportunity. Friends, we're looking at apologeticspress.org. The article titled Emotional Religion for our Topical Thursday session. You can look at the show notes and figure out over there what we do from Monday to Friday, going live, and each day has its own theme. And we encourage you, please, subscribe, follow, give us a thumbs up, a comment, share the link far and wide. All that kind of good stuff helps the work do what it's supposed to do through his good grace and our Christian principles and worldview, through the scriptures we follow. Uh, It's a blessing. And we have much to be thankful for. We have much to thank God in prayer for. Let's not only go to God... When things are desperate and sorrowful, let's go to God when things are uh, joyful and encouraging. And uh, being able to participate in this kind of work, the Added Souls work and ministry, is uh, truly a a purpose-driven and fulfilling uh, work. It's a blessing, and uh, we'd love for you to get involved, to, to, to get to know us, And for all of you who have been for years, we know each other personally. That's a beautiful relationship to have. We appreciate you. You've seen our family grow. You've seen the work we do and the integrity we hold. Uh, We're not perfect and far from it. But we certainly do try our best each day to follow our master, Jesus Christ, and to um, reach people. It's all to the three points I created way back in 2012 reach the faithless, renew the fallen, and reinforce the faithful. That's what we're about, and we'd love for you to get involved, certainly. Okay, so emotional religion from our friends over at ApologetExpress.org is an article that was written by author Frank Chesser, who is a board member over there at Apologet Express, and uh, I just plucked that out. We're going to read it together, and we'll have ourselves some discussion. Uh, So please, engage, participate, and uh, it's it's a good thing. Uh, Let me see here now if I can just open this up and see what's going on. I want to open up another window uh, because we're streaming live on various platforms, YouTube, Facebook, Rumble, Twitter, and uh, I want to make sure I can see some comments. I've been trying to usually... Through the software I utilize, you, you see all the comments, but for some reason, it's not been showing it. And it's my fault, you know, I'm, <laughs> I've been, I do everything here on my own, pretty much. I've been wanting to get my son involved, uh, but for that, we have to kind of upgrade the technology a bit. And um, that, of course, costs money. Everything costs money. But uh, as our support grows... And uh, the studio grows, uh, I'll be able to hopefully employ my son to a lesser degree, 
to begin with and he'll be able to kind of be at the helm and I'll help him understand the computer and the software a little bit more and that way we can get uh, grow in, in the professional manner that I see uh, or envision uh, this ministry uh, working in the future. All right, let me just open up something here. How you guys been doing? You guys been having a good week thus far, hopefully an encouraging one. I hope so. There's so many things out there that can discourage us, right? <laughs> just the cost of living itself, you know, paying the rent. It's just ridiculous these days. Uh, but uh, it is what it is. And uh, Christians have persevered through uh, harsher times and uh, more peaceful times for sure. So uh, we'll survive in Christ. We'll do what we're supposed to do. Tammy with us. Good to see you, Tammy, over there on Facebook. Got our YouTube open, Twitter open, Rumble, all that kind of good stuff. Let me see here. Where's Rumble? There's Rumble. All right. It's a bit early. You know, lately I've been going around 9 or 10 a.m., even 11 a.m. Atlantic Daylight Time. But this morning, uh, got a few things to do, so we figured I'd get up and running a bit earlier. All right. Well, that's good. We got that here. Let's go into the article, shall we? Emotional Religion by Frank Chesser over at ApologeticsPress.org. It says, and I quote, <clears throat> Sin moved from the mind of Satan to the heart of Eve, destroyed her purity and innocence, soiled her soul with consequences for life. Of course, consequences that you and I still have to live through today, thousands of years later. So the article continues and says, and broke the heart of God. Certainly. <clears throat> God loves us. He created us in his image, free-willed agents. And uh, when we disobeyed him, um, you know, it's like uh, if you're a parent and your child disobeys you, it's, it's a sign that there's a breach in the love. And uh, that can make you sad, obviously. Okay, the article continues and says, Sin is this soothing sound of religious error that blinds the mind and calms the heart with a false sense of security, paving the road to eternal perdition upon which the masses of the earth will travel. And sadly, that's well written. Uh, this is the first time I think I read something from Frank. Uh, I like the way he, uh, he writes thus far already in the in intro here. And it's true. Uh, it, it's true. Uh, what's going on with... Uh, false religious ways, um, I often quote uh, from a movie I watched, which said, there's comfort underneath the wing of a dragon. You know, the very beast that's going to devour you, you can find comfort under its wings. It's warm, but it's a deception. You're going to become uh, the next prey, if you will, to be devoured. So sin is the soothing sound of religious error that blinds the minds and calms the heart with a false sense of security, paving the road to eternal perdition upon which the masses of the earth will travel. I like that how he wrote that. Sin is a husband and father, sitting in the dark of the night, shackled with the chains of lust as the eyes of the mind feed on pornographic images moving across the screen of modern technology. Very true indeed. Sin is the subverted, seductive, insidious spirit of liberalism at war with the grace of God, defying law, eroding conviction, and driving the dagger of spiritual death into the heart of faith. Very well written. 
I like the way he writes. It's very true, almost poetic to its sense, but it is realism. It is objective. It is the standard of understanding and discernment we have when we follow the scriptures and we grow within uh, the spirit of the word written, if you will. And uh, it is true. Sin is a small, helpless baby, a portrait of perfect purity, whose brief life comes to a violent and tragic end under the abusive hands of human depravity. That is real. Sin is a perpetual stream of death that refuses to allow solace to inhabit a single moment of time. Very well written. The article continues and says, Sin is a man's problem. Calvary is God's remedy. Obedience to the gospel is God's means of reaching the cross and appropriating its benefits. Since God is sovereign and his will is paramount, he alone has the right to specify the conditions that man must meet in order to enjoy redemption, provided by God's grace and the blood of his Son. Jesus said, quote, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. That is from the recorded and witnessed account found in Mark chapter 16, verse 16. So what is baptism? Question mark. Well, baptism is faith refusing to be supplanted by emotion. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting indeed. God designed man with an intellect, the ability to think and reason. What I would often say on my podcast, we have the independent accountability, or when we attain the age of independent accountability and we find ourselves with the intellectual capability, we are indeed, we are indeed, not only in thought and belief, but indeed required from the measurement and standard of inspired literature to act upon, act upon what is found within called trust towards what is being received, the information of the Holy Writ. So we continue, and the article would say, God designed man with an intellect, the ability to think and reason. The Bible addresses this aspect of man's nature. Quote, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. That from the recorded and witnessed inspired account found in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, this text contains four great truths. God is. God has spoken. God spoke in the, la in the past by the prophets. God has spoken to us by his Son. These four truths embrace the whole of the Bible. Hebrews quotes from or alludes to the Pentateuch, the prophets, Psalms, and Proverbs. Jesus said he had fulfilled all things, quote, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. This from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verse 44. The Bible in its entirety is a revelation from God. It addresses the mind. It speaks to man's intellect, and if we be wise to humble ourselves to the text and ask and seek and knock, 
for Christianity is an educated religion, we will uh, certainly find the truth therein. Thy word is truth. Truth is reality. Reality liberates us from the shackles of myth. Okay? Um, of course, if you're new here to the channel, we're reading this article, and I share my studies and thoughts along with our friends over at Apologetics Press and along with your comments and concerns and thoughts that you can certainly leave in the threads. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. We're learning stuff, aren't we? Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, presses this truth, okay? With few exceptions, almost every verse uses some term that describes the word of God. Repetitiously, the psalmist implores God to, quote, teach him and then uses words that pertain to the mind. God addresses the mind of Israel with the law he heralded from Mount Sinai. In his final sermon to Israel, Moses called upon the nation to hearken unto the statutes and judgments, quote, which I teach you. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 10. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, is God's prototype for securing the faith of each succeeding generation. It entails parental discernment of God's oneness, loving God with the whole of one's heart or mind, storing up his word in the heart and diligent instruction until the mind of each child was fortified with divine truth. And speaking of divine truth and the source in which divine truth is uh, extended, if you will, in our midweek studies over here with the East Coast Church of Christ, we've began within the literature of Paul to brethren in Galatia. And his opening chapter, we see his um, strong position to explain to his brethren that the gospel, death, burial, resurrection, witness, and ascension, and all that encompass uh, that that sphere of, of reality, all of it comes from divine source, from deity, from God, the living God, and not from the minds of men. The uniqueness of the church, the plan of salvation, the way in which we must worship God to be pleasing to him, the government of autonomy within the local assembly, and the discipline that is to be practiced, all of these things come from the mind of God, directed by the mind of God, and is to be warmly welcomed within our humble hearts and practiced. It's law with mercy and grace, all well orchestrated together. And that's an important information because if we think that Christianity, Jesus, the gospel, is but subjective to the next man's thoughts, agenda, culture, then we make ourselves out to be gods and we create the Christ in our own image. And that's exactly what the Sanhedrin was guilty of doing. The first century pharisaical kind had interpreted the scriptures of the coming Messiah to their own selfish ambitions, and so they anticipated a Christ according to their own unrighteous judgments. 
And when Jesus came, of course, in the like manner of his Father, true and divine, fulfilling the prophets in great accuracy to the law, well, they rejected him. And there was a lot more involved within those Gospels, of course, revealing the darkened hypocrisy of their hearts and how they truly, with great hostility, murdered Jesus Christ, our Lord and Master. This information is of the most substance, and we are wise to pay attention to it, certainly. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, back to the article here, taking a bit of an excursion, and we do that, and that's fine, and that's good, and we should, allowing our thoughts to flow and share with each other, strengthening our faith again to the three points, to reach, to renew, and to reinforce. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 9, is God's prototype for securing the faith of each succeeding generation. It entails parental discernment of God's oneness. And it speaks of this information through divine truth, of course. Now, the gospel speaks to the mind. That is the purpose. It must be taught, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. The process by which God draws man to himself through Christ involves teaching, hearing, and learning. John chapter 6, verse 44 and 45, Christianity is a taught religion. It's a taught religion. If you don't understand that yet, you're missing the mark. You need to focus in and recognize the value in which we must know that this religion is, a, is an educated one. But it's an educated one for all who are independent and accountable and it's interesting because you can find the most, well, the smartest of people, if you will, down to some of us, the mere peasants. And we can both understand the same thing in the same way. It's, it's interesting to me how powerful this book is when you truly allow your heart to understand the information and evidence therein. The article continues, the fourfold uh, the fourfold profitability of inspiration and in doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness, 2 Timothy 3.16, communicates to the mind of man, enabling him to, the spiritual, uh, to be spiritually complete, if you will, quote, thoroughly furnished unto all, not some, all, good. What is good come from God? Works. You're active in your faith, 2 Timothy 3, 17. And of course, in James chapter 2, our faith must produce a works or it is found vain and dead. And it is indeed attached to salvation. The article continues, All the principles by which God relates to man necessitates the mind being taught, instructed, and trained by divine revelation. Again, it is so uh, fitting that we've been having our midweek studies in Galatians and Paul speaking to his brethren is enforcing his inspiration saying, what I am speaking to you does not come from the minds of men. I didn't have to go see my religious, any religious leader or, or consult any of my brethren or anything like that. It was a direct miraculous supernatural endowment revelation from Jesus Christ. The information of the gospel comes from God, not from the minds of men. And if we miss that, we miss it all. As I pointed out in our studies last night to the membership in question form, if the Bible, the 66 books of the Bible are not inspired, 
and are irrelevant and nonsensical and to be thrown away and burned like a great many students have been doing in this country, burning the book, the Bible, um, then who among us can reveal information? How would we know the Christ? How are we to know salvation? Where do we go? Well, it's going to be, again, subjective to whoever wants to speak whatever he wants to. There's no standard of, or foundation. Imagine children coming home each night to, a, to different parents. How do you establish relationship? How do you establish security? You can't. There is no security. Castle made of sand. The 66 books of the Holy Bible are true and inspired. They never change. That's the beauty of it. It is unique. Because the minute we remove this book, then all of us become our own gods. <laughs> Sadly. And we've been seeing that in model form in our history time and time and time again. We remove God from our society. We make a man out to be God. He's a tyrant. He murdered, murders, murders everyone. And, uh, and then we're overtaken by another foreign barbarian tyrant and so on and so forth. The bloodshed and the sin and depravity of this fallen world. All right, back to the article. Grace teaches, Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Many folk don't know the true purpose of divine grace extended our way. It teaches, Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, the teaching of grace is validated by blood. The instruction of grace in the Old Testament was ratified by the blood of animals, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 18 through 22. The tutoring of grace in the New Testament has been authenticated by the blood of Christ, Matthew 26, 28. Genesis 3, 6 closed the door to fellowship and communion with God. Genesis 3.15 opened the door with grace and faith reaching for the cross. Faith assesses grace and appropriates its provisions in Christ and the cross. Saving faith is dependent for its very existence on divine revelation. Faith needs instruction. Only the word of God can provide the instruction that produces faith, that pleases God and leads to heaven. Quote, so then, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Biblical faith is an act of the mind that has been taught and trained by divine revelation. Agape love is an act of the mind. Jesus speaks of loving God, quote, with all thy mind. Matthew twenty two thirty seven, Agape love shares no kinship with emotions. It is not dependent upon or affected by emotions. It is a commanded love that even embraces one's enemies. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. It relies upon divine revelation for its actions. It cannot move until it hears God speak quote, "If ye love me, keep my commandments." John chapter 14 verse 15. 
Agape love listens to the teaching of grace. When it is fully educated on a given subject, it moves faith to obey God. That which avails in Christ is, quote, faith which worketh by love. Galatians 5, 6. And that wonderful. Jesus summed up these truths and principles when he said, quote, And ye shall know the truth, and truth shall make you free. John 8, 32. The truth is the teaching of grace. The instruction of grace has been validated by blood. This education of grace produces faith and activates love. Emotions cannot know anything. Knowledge pertains to the mind. Only the mind can discern truth. An open and receptive mind that loves truth and can perceive the truth, know the truth, obey the truth, and be liberated from the dominion of sin by the truth. What is truth? Thy word is truth. Contemporary religion has supplanted the mind with emotion. It is no longer a matter of, quote, God said, rather it, rather it is, quote, I feel. When the Bible is referenced, man responds by expressing his feelings about its meaning. Human emotions have become the lens through which the Bible is viewed and the parameter by which its meaning is determined. Emotion inheres in Christianity. But these emotions issue from a mind that has been taught and trained by the Word of God. Again, how I explain this quite simply. There's nothing wrong with emotions. God has blessed us with emotions. Joy, fear, happy, sad, angry, mad, joyful, peaceful. You can, you can embrace emotion. It's, it's, it's a wonderful blessing that we have been given as free-willed agents experiencing this life. But we are not governed by emotion. The scriptures is filled with the instruction to have a self-control. That means you're in control of your mind. And if you are in control of your mind, you are in control of the words you speak and the actions you participate in or produce and create. And because your mind is governed by a rightly handled scripture, you receive and embrace the emotions that come with it. You choose to follow the instructions of the Holy Spirit, the scriptures, that is, his work, his penmanship. As a male, you embrace friendship with a female, and both of you become one as husband and wife and children are born. That is an emotional joy and reception of great happiness in your life. But it was stemmed from a mind governed by the instructions and principles of the scriptures. If you pervert and corrupt that to where you are governed by your emotion and you allow your emotion to twist the scriptures to your own selfish agenda then, my dear friend, we will find ourselves lost.
missing the mark and believing and practicing all sorts of nonsensical, erroneous doctrines and traditions and so forth. The, the article continues, It is a divine imperative for man to love God with all his heart, soul, and mind. Matthew 22, verse 37. Mark and Luke add, quote, strength. The soul is the uh, depository of emotions. Jesus uses two terms, heart and mind, for the intellect, the thinking and reasoning part of man. There is a world of difference in fleshly emotions that emanate from a man's own self-centered will and spiritual emotions that spring from a heart that has been educated by divine revelation. There's a great difference. Uh, difference there, a, a division of sorts. The religious world is drunk on distorted emotion, and it truly is. And if you look at the ocean of denominationalism, you'll find all kinds of truly strange and um, unrecognizable beliefs and practices foreign to the 66 books of the Holy Scriptures. So the religious world is drunk on distorted emotion. We tend to think when the Bible says be sober automatically and immediately we go to, you know, alcohol and drugs. And they certainly, they certainly speak to that principle. However, we tend to miss the mark and understand that being sober of mind is also to be sober of mind away from being drunken by denominationalism and all the erroneous and divisive doctrines that are found within that ocean, misleading people. So the religious world is drunk on distorted, uh, distorted emotion, claiming angelic visitation and divine revelations. Mohammed exalted himself to the status of a prophet. He rode across the sands of Arabia with a self-deceived mind and contorted emotions, constructing a religion with a blood-stained sword. Affirming Muhammad to be a false prophet and shredding the Quran in an assembly of Muslims would provoke a violent display of unrestrained emotions. Conversely, a Muslim's denunciation of the deity of Christ and rending of the Bible in a congregation of Christians, while heard and viewed with righteous indignation, would be met with intact and controlled emotions. Only the gospel can conquer, restrain, and govern human emotions. Truly. Oriental mysticism is the product of mental deception and emotional deformity. Siddhartha Gautama erected the religion of Buddhism on the sandy soil of emotion. He abandoned his family and commenced an emotional request or an emotional quest for peace and enlightenment. He rejected knowledge, paid homage at the idol of feelings, and formed a religion that is the antithesis of Christianity. Hinduism can boast of no founder, date of origin, single guidebook, or distinct body of doctrine. It is a self-will, emotionally driven religion that allows each devotee to function as his own god and follow the leanings of his own feelings. 
It's all driven by heathen worldview, pagan practice. And sadly, we've made, we've created Christianity in our own image with that very worldview. I was born and raised in a location of the world where our culture, my culture, are superstitious people driven by idolatry and pagan ways and all sorts of myth, myths and uh, um, strange uh, enchantments, if you will. And we, and we call that, we call those things Christianity. We do. It's not Christianity. But that's what we call it. So it is very deceiving. Uh, the article continues with other forms. Taoism is a Chinese religion that rejects the concepts of absolute truth and goodness and views all components of the universe as enjoying some form of mystical union or oneness. Jainism is the religion of asceticism. Asceticism? If I'm pronouncing that right. Keep in mind, my dear friends, I'm a French guy speaking English words here. So Jainism is the religion of asceticism. Some six centuries before Christ, Mahavara, its founder, left his family, joined a monastic order, and pledged to assault his body with neglect. He wandered nude for 12 years across central India in search of nirvana, a state of complete mental and emotional severance from physical desire. In the ecstasy of emotion, he claimed victory over his body and spent the last 30 years of his life preaching the ascetic manner of life. Confucius, oof, here's a word I'm trying to pronounce, Confucianism, Confucianism, yeah, I think so, I, whatever. Confucianism is based on the humanistic philosophy of Confucius that stresses goodness but not God and encourages men to live together in harmony. Shintoism is a Chinese, or sorry, a Japanese religion that originally paid homage at the shrine of nature, but later Chinese influences broadened its scope of worship and reverence to include multiple gods, country, and the emperor. Sikhism is a religion of India founded by Nanak 15 centuries after Christ. Claiming an emotional experience in the presence of God, Nanak stressed constant repetition of the name of God, loss of individuality, and absorption into the one God. Catholicism is a corrupt man-made religion that bears no semblance to New Testament Christianity. And when I was speaking of my people and my culture, this is exactly what I was speaking about. All of us, most of us here, were born and raised within the realms of Catholicism. Our families, neighbors, co-workers, all of it. Catholicism. We're idol worshippers. We are superstitious people who believe in all sorts of myth. We call it Christianity through the worldview of Catholicism. It has supplanted God with the Pope, the Bible with the Catechism, truth with error, and gospel simplicity with pomp and ceremony. Rapturous emotions compel knees to bow at the feet of the Pope. His presence is venerated, and the sound of his voice is perceived to be the voice of God. 
the presence, prevalence, and perversion of Catholicism bears witness to the power of error to deceive the mind, subvert emotions, and bar the entrance of truth. Denominationalism and subjectivism are religious twins. Adherents of denominationalism will seldom exchange their emotional experience for truth. One such man was confronted with biblical teaching on baptism. He acknowledged that what Jesus said on the subject, then asserted, quote, I would not give up my salvation experience for a whole stack of Bibles, end quote. An advocate of denominationalism admitted that he could not point to a single example in the Bible, the book of Acts specifically, of someone who was saved as he claimed to have been. Thirty years after his religious, quote, experience, he was yet so enraptured with the feeling that his experience produced that he rejected the truth and declared his intention to go to the judgment with a few minutes of emotional excitement as the only evidence he could provide for his salvation. And that is sadly, of course, the snare of the broad gate, which most who have a hope and a heaven they will never see. The church is replete with people who have ceased to drink from the biblical well in order to drink from the well of emotion. Their minds have been conquered by the spirit of liberalism. Liberalism and emotionalism are inseparable companions. They wear the same clothes, they walk in the same shoes, breathe the same air, and live by the same heartbeat. Emotionalism is liberalism's lifeblood. Sever, uh, severe, then, and both die, or sever, and both die. Quote, what man hath joined together, let not God part asunder, quote, end quote, is their guiding principle of life. Emotionalism is liberalism's lifeblood. You sever, then, and both, and die. Liberalism had rather feel than think. Thinking involves the mind. Liberalism views the mind as its enemy. Proper mental thought about God, self, sin, and all of their related parts strips liberalism of its influence. Liberalism is concerned about the moment, the temporal, the superficial, and squeezing all the emotional excitement it can out of each human, humanly devised religious experience. The light of truth and proper thinking about truth exposes the folly of liberalism. A well-known and respected brother would publicly say that liberalism is a mental disorder. Liberalism shuns the light of truth and sober thinking like roaches run from the light of day. Liberalism cannot comprehend controlled emotions, subservient emotions, feelings under the steady influence of a mind that has been educated in the school of divine revelation. Man's emotional beings, or man's emotional being, needs the guiding control of divine law. A law is a rule of conduct. A mind properly in instructed by the marvelous laws, precepts, and principle, principles of God regulates emotions and enables them to be displayed properly. And that has been a great liberation. The truth does that. A mind vacant of the disciplining power and influence of the laws and principles of the Bible means the emotional aspect of man's nature is virtually on its own. There is no end to the folly that can result from the ungoverned emotions. 
And we've been seeing that time and time again throughout our history, haven't we? The article continues, an article from our friends over at apologeticspress.org, and it's titled Emotional Religion. Liberalism possesses no appetite for the discipline offered by divine law. Liberalism loathes law. Its hatred for law knows no bounds. It views law as cold, staid, rigid, callous, and legalistic. In its consummate form, liberalism has decreed an end to law. It has constructed a pseudo-system of grace that totally excludes law. Having driven the stake of death through the heart of law, it stands triumphant over its grave, rejoicing over the end of prohibitions, restraints, and restrictions. And to my own studies, what I've recognized also, which is quite revealing, if you will, the scriptures speak with great detail the description of sin. And what is sin? Sin is lawlessness. Liberalism will take crime, legalize it, and no longer call it crime. Denominational poisoning of the mind through erroneous religious views and traditions will have you believing that there is no longer any law. And therefore, if there is no longer any law, then sin no longer exists because sin is lawlessness. And how can one thing be lawless if there is no law to expose it? Get rid of law? We no longer have sin? We no longer have to feel guilty living in sin. That's how that works. We continue with the article here. Where was I? The present apostasy of many in the church is a portrait of liberated emotion sailing on the sea of self-will. Even a transient expression of unrestrained emotions can have devastating consequences. God instructed Moses and Aaron to speak to the rock and water would come forth to quince the thirst of Israel. One can discern the uncontrolled emotion in the voice of Moses as he cried, quote, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? Numbers, or number, yeah, Numbers 20, verse 10. God declared their emotional reaction to the murmurings of Israel to be an act of unbelief, Numbers 10, uh, 2012. So serious was this sin that it barred the entrance of Moses and Aaron into the land of Canaan. Now just think of that. One of the great purposes of the Old Testament is to mold, shape, frame, and mature the mind into a state of deep reverence, soberness, contriteness, fear, and trembling at every thought of God, truth, and the ways of God in relation to self and sin. Christianity is a serious religion. It's an educated religion. It's an education of the mind. It is governed by divine revelation. The 66 books of the Bible, the, the penmanship of the Holy Spirit. The article continues. It is a vivid, speaking of course here within the context of the article, it is a vivid portrait of the nature and traits of God which much, with much emphasis upon the sovereignty, holiness, justice, and wrath of God. Liberalism winces at this accentuation. It refuses to be swayed by it. 
It is so self-centered, arrogant, and defiant that it is incapable of perceiving the truth about anything external to itself. Having been schooled in the university of emotionalism, liberalism views itself as self-sufficient and in no need of instruction from some outside source. Jesus Christ is the personification of love. He is love in the purest and most complete form. The cross bears witness to the depth of his love for every accountable being. The love of Christ is so great it, quote, passeth knowledge, Ephesians 3.19. Yet, uh, yet relative to impenitent sin and error, there is anger in his eyes, Mark 3.5. Wrath in his heart, Revelation 6, verses 16 and 17. And warnings of hell from his lips, Matthew 10.28. The emotion of liberalism cannot abide this inspired deception of Christ. And if I may add a bit of an excursion on how far and disorderly liberalism and its consequences, its effects can have on the human mind. We live in a time where we are now enamored by liberalism. It has actually broken our nations. We are fallen nations because of this infection. It's a sinful infection, liberalism. It makes men believe they can be women and women believe they can be men. It makes us believe that plastic straws is the greatest threat to humanity and that we must depopulate humanity to save the weather. It brings us to encourage and promote child predators and sexual deviants. It's a great threat and we've allowed it to take place and we must be held accountable for it. And judgment is coming. We're begging for it, aren't we? Again, to the article speaking. It says, The emotion of liberalism cannot abide this inspired depiction of Christ in regards to, of course, the anger of his eyes, the wrath of his heart, and the warnings of hell from his lips. The mind of liberalism is so full of itself there is no room for anything else. Emotions reign supreme upon the throne of its heart. Any truth inconsistent with its feelings is not allowed entrance. In the theology of liberalism, if it feels good, it's right. The emotions of liberalism scoff at the concept of biblical authority. It views, quote, book, chapter, and verse preaching as old-fashioned and incompatible with today's world. It disdains the stringency in divine commands. In liberalism's world... The warm glow of contended emotions is evidence of divine acceptance. Because I feel it. Because I feel so. Because of my feelings. And of course, again, a bit of an excursion in the studies I've had throughout the years with the isms. And all of this is an infection of the isms. Uh, relativism. Emotionalism. Pluralism. All of these. There is no such thing as the truth. No one can know the truth. There is no such thing as the truth. So whatever I feel is my truth is mine. The subjective realm of nothingness. And they know a whole bunch of everything about nothing. In liberalism's world, the warm glow of content, contended emotions is evidence of divine acceptance. That's, that's how they... My feelings are divine. I make myself my own God. 
It, it, it truly is what it is. And I know, I used to live there for decades. My mind was ensnared and shackled by this, by liberalism, by all of that. <laughs> all sorts of strange religious views, denominational views, pagan views. It was all just to allow us to live in sin without the, without the emotion of guilt. That's one we don't want. <laughs> we embrace all emotions except the guilty one. <laughs> the article continues. Satan knows if he can so influence an individual to cease thinking right about God thinking that is formed and shaped by the word of God, he can then tap into his emotions and win the war with his soul. The tragic status of the religious world and multiplied thousands in the church testifies to the success of his efforts. Emotions that are not under the supervision of a mind that affirms, quote, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Psalm 11997 are the devil's playground. No biblical subject is set forth with more simplicity and clarity than the subject of baptism. Yet the Bible addresses no subject that will provoke a more intense emotional response with more swiftness than when one presses the truth on this vital subject. Fleshly emotions immediately rise to the surface, and the offended commence to express their feelings on the subject. The concern of most people is not with what the Bible asserts about baptism. It is how they feel about it. They utilize their feelings as an emotional device to assess biblical teaching. They either accept or reject a biblical declaration based on how it relates to their feelings. They often respond on how it relates to their feelings. They often respond to a clear biblical statement with the, prover the proverbial but, followed by an expression of their feelings as to its meaning. But I feel like it doesn't mean that. And I know I've been there. I've said that for decades. But I feel. In all probability, there is no subject in the Bible that has been met with more buts than baptism. Quote, he that trusteth in his own heart is a fool, Proverbs 28, 26. Quote, there is a way which seemeth right to, unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death, Proverbs 14, 12. It may seem right, look right, and feel right, but if it's not to the truth of God, it will lead to spiritual death. It's an inevitable, objective, absolute reality of our existence. One plus one makes two. There are only two genders, male and female. Reality. Jesus firmly pressed that one must be baptized to be saved, Mark 16, 16. He put water in the new birth, John 3, 5. Inspiration avers that believers must repent and be baptized for the remission of their sins, Acts 2, 38. A penitent believer was commanded to be baptized so his sins could be washed away, Acts 22, 16. Baptism saves us, 1 Peter 3, 21, because it puts us in contact with the blood of Christ. It's not the water, it's not me, it's not you. It's the power of God to all who have faith to trust Christ, wash their sins away in that watery grave. You have to go to the tomb of the Christ. This is a scriptural truth, a New Testament law that is so simple if your heart is humble and you've not been contaminated by the ocean of erroneous denominational traditions. What is human submission to biblical baptism? 
It is faith refusing to be supplanted by emotion. Don't trust your feelings. Trust the Word of God. And once you trust the Word of God, you will find great pleasure in the emotions that come forth with it. Security, peace, tranquility, unity, family, love. That feels good. That feels right. Because it's governed by the Word. And the Word sets us free. Isn't that good? I think so. Let me check here if I can find some comments. Please forgive me if I can't see all of them because I've got multiple platforms open and I would think that the software I had would, would kind of show me that, but uh, let's see here. Well, I can't seem to open that. Let's try here. Uh, excellent. We have one over here. I think I can see. There's a denomination 30 miles from us that has dance teams in their worship. Women are in front of the congregation wiggling to songs of worship. They state that everyone can, quote, feel the Holy Spirit. Uh, good comment. And uh, sadly, a reality of the masses who practice their own self-willed religious views created in their own image, and they do things that are foreign to inspired literature and foreign to God and hostile towards God, sadly. All right, my dear friends, I do appreciate all of you in viewership across the board on all the platforms. Please, again, consider subscribing, following, liking, sharing a comment, all that good stuff. And please consider getting involved and partaking in supporting the Added Souls work. You can uh, sign up to addedsouls.locals.com. You can send donation to PayPal, addedsouls at gmail.com. You can reach out to me, have a conversation if you need a physical address. Uh, all these things, uh, friends, they, they, they help the Added Souls ministry move forward through the Maya family. Food, shelter, clothing allows us to keep working. Uh, and we work alongside the East Coast Church of Christ. And we are a growing church, a beautiful church, a church at peace. God was so good. He blessed us. He saved us from uh, a great toxic uh, 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 location and and and, and uh, just evil, evil things. Uh, he he called us away from a dying world, uh, and it, it's just such a beautiful thing to be part of a, a loving family, and to have peace uh, in your heart following the doctrine of Christ, and that feels good. That feels good to follow the scriptures and to know the scriptures with a a growing church family, uh, of of. Uh, wonderful and humble people. It's just such a, a beautiful thing. So please consider getting involved and supporting the Added Souls ministry and all the wonderful branches it has. Uh, it, it's to His glory. God is good. His grace allows us to do these things. He, deserve all, he deserves all praise. Uh, we are just blessed to be servants and have been given purpose in life. We don't deserve it, but through His grace teaching us, we're allowed to uh, get involved. And uh, that opportunity is certainly sent your way. Lord willing, tomorrow for our sociopolitical uh, session on Fridays, uh, please stay focused and please stay uh, uh, positive. It's a difficult one in today's fallen world, isn't it? Uh, but uh, let's do our best to do that. Uh, we'll find comfort if you meditate on the Word of God. Read it, study it, believe it, act upon it. 
It'll give, give you great comfort. And we thank our friends over at ApologeticsPress.org. The article was titled Emotional Religion. It was written by Frank, uh, I think, Chesser is, is how I pronounce that anyways. Uh, and he's a board member over there uh, at Apologetics Press. Good stuff. Peace out. <laughs>